Less Doing, Episode 82. Ari talks with Hunter Martz, author of The Straight A Conspiracy, about the myths of modern education, the math gene, and learning to learn. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 82 of the Less Doing Podcast. Today, I spoke with Hunter Motz of The Straight A Conspiracy, which is a new book about ending the stress of school. And he goes into some really interesting research, basically about how the current education system doesn't really foster creativity and also just creates all these stresses about, you know, if you're not good at math, then you're not never going to be good at doing math or you're never going to be successful or if you're basically your whatever you do when you're five years old determines what you're going to be for the rest of your life and this basically dispels a lot of that and i have to say i really agree with a lot of the things actually pretty much everything that he says in his book and in the interview so it's definitely a really cool interview this week felix is traveling so i'm running solo again however don't worry for everybody who's noticed how good the sound quality has been since Felix has been involved, it is still going to be processed by Felix and the editing is all going to be done by him. So you'll get the same quality that you always get. So I just want to tell everybody about some links and stuff this week that I thought were interesting. The first one is actually there's, there's two that are Kickstarter campaigns. Uh, the first one is called Saffron Fix. And when you hear this podcast, I think this will be about 17 days left of the Kickstarter campaign. It's already been successfully funded and I am backing this project. It's so cool. So I've talked before about Blue Apron and uh, Plated, which are both services. Uh, Also, HelloFresh, all these are services that will send you the pre-measured ingredients to make a home-cooked meal in usually 30 minutes or so. And I've been having a lot of fun, actually, with Blue Apron recently. But Saffron Fix is the same concept, except it's for Indian food. And Indian food is one of those kinds of foods that I personally love. But it's it's also, it, it's difficult to make it at home if you don't, and actually difficult is not the right word. I think it's a little intimidating, really. And, you know, Indian food, there's a lot of spices that are involved and really great fresh ingredients. And there is depending on the kind of Indian cuisine, there usually is a sort of uh, focus on vegetarian style meals, but it's awesome. So the fact that they're doing this, I think is really great. And these two women created these, these boxes, these kits that you're going to get with all of the ingredients you need to make amazing home cooked Indian meals, uh, including having fresh naan or, or roti. So I'm really excited. And now that it's funded, I know that I'm going to get some and it's going to happen in October and I can't wait. So check out Saffron Fix and, and back it if you like Indian food. Uh, the, the second Kickstarter campaign is uh, a belt actually, and it's called um, the Slide Belt. So it's a survival belt from Slide Belt. Now, the, the, first of all, the reason that I, I want to talk about this is that I've, I've written on the blog before about how to uh, carry less without ever leaving anything behind. And one of those things was taking pictures of the cards that you normally carry in your wallet and things like that. I personally have an iPhone case that has a slot in the back for three credit cards. Um, and in that I have my uh, American Express card, my debit card, and my driver's license. And that's typically it. I also have a tiny, uh, it's not called the squirt. I actually forget what it's called, but oh, the micro, uh, Leatherman micro, which has scissors and a knife 
and tweezers and a screwdriver and stuff like that. And I'll carry that as well. But that, if you've ever seen one, it's super, super tiny. So that's pretty much all I carry ever. But if there's any of those kinds of things that you can have on you without actually having to pack them or think about them, I always think that that's really cool. So there's a couple different styles of this survival belt, but it's pretty impressive. So first of all, it's like a military style belt where you slide the the belt through and then the buckle sort of clasps onto it. So it doesn't have a, uh, uh, like a, little pointy thing that goes through a hole but the buckle itself so again there's three versions but one of the versions has a bottle opener and the another version has a fire starter and actually a multi-tool it's got a knife in it and the top of the line version actually has a gps unit built into it so if you're in the video which they made which is really excellent they show this guy basically camping and he's using the the belt to cut firewood and then uses the belt strap itself to actually carry the wood and all this other stuff and then at the very end his girlfriend or or wife checks on the computer and sees where he is based on the gps so uh it's very very cool i i think it's just such a such a cool idea and it's one of those things that you could carry it on you and not really have to think about it but it'll always be there if you need it so check out the slide belt survival belt uh this other site now i want to tell you about is called creative writing prompts and kind of random it's kind of like it looks pretty old school actually as a site but it's got well over 300 things that you can hover over and it will give you creative writing prompts so they're just ideas to do creative writing and it's one of those things that even if you're not a writer and especially if you are a writer but you're not doing creative writing like you're writing you know like a tech blog for instance like that i think that this is a really good exercise to tell yourself maybe once a week or a couple times a week that you want to write even if it's a couple hundred words or just a few lines but as an exercise to do this so for instance uh one of the prompts here is uh let's see here there's so many and they're really cool there's some really random ones okay right from the point of view of a freshly scrubbed floor (laughs) so that's kind of a bizarre one but if you really think about that for a few minutes and write something yeah maybe it's going to be terrible and maybe it's totally outside your comfort zone but that's the point and i think it's a good one uh here's another one is think about a thing you feel should not have been invented so that's a pretty cool one actually i think uh, I'm sure there's a, a lot of people who would say that high heels should not have been invented. But uh, anyway, I wouldn't have any personal knowledge of that. So creative writing prompts. Uh, the next one is called Team Reporter App. And this is a relatively new uh, website. But basically, this is I done this for teams. And I know what you're saying. I done this has team functionality. But this is slightly different. So if you're not familiar with I done this, it's something that I always recommend everybody use. And it basically sends you an email at the end of the day asking you what you got done that day. And it doesn't, uh, it's sort of like a journal, but you respond to the email and then it will bring back reminders of things that you've gotten done in the past. The team version sort of shares that information to everybody. But what Team Reporter does is it will actually send timed emails throughout the day and ask things like, what did you accomplish? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are the obstacles that are impeding your progress? So you'll get this report from people. They just have to respond to the email. And it's, again, it's throughout the day. And it compiles that information and the next day gives you basically a team status report. It also shares it with everyone on the team so they can see what they're doing, what they're struggling with. Maybe someone can help. Uh, so I think this is really great, especially for a remote team. But it, this is great for a team that's working in an office. And I think that it's such a powerful sort of basic thing. But I really like this. So Team Reporter app is looking really cool. 
Um, and then just two more things. There was a study done that said that changes in exercise are more effective than loading schemes to improve muscle strength. So there's all sorts of programs like starting strength or the five, three, one stuff or Wendler and whatever, where you're, you know, you're doing squats at a certain weight and then another certain amount of reps at a different weight and higher and higher and higher. But what this basically is showing that for muscle strength, varying the exercise is more important, which is pretty cool because if you're into sort of the primal stuff where you, you you're just basically like to mix it up and sort of do what you're feeling in the different moment that seems like that's going to be more effective and that's basically what i do every week when we do our our hardcore workout here in the less doing lab it's it's pretty much a total different scenario each time so something to try out if you've gotten stuck in the same old routine now the last one is another thing that's for pre-order it's not a kickstarter campaign but it's called liquid off and you may have seen there was a ted talk about a similar compound but this is basically it's a treatment it's a clear spray that you can put on anything you can put it on fabric uh, or well you can put it on your shoes you can put it on clothing you can put it on uh, napkins bib, whatever you want uh, and and surfaces as well and you've got to see the video, and we're linking to this in the show notes. You've got to see the video. It's just amazing. Basically, the water just like shoots off of it. Water, dirt, soda, anything. Wine. I was thinking that this is a great thing for parents if you want to put it on a particular kind of clothing. You literally can pour like a glass of the, the most staining stuff possible. You could put ketchup. You could put all sorts of things, and it will literally just fly off the clothing. So liquid off is pretty badass. Anyway, so that's all I've got for this week. Uh, I hope that uh, you don't mind not hearing Felix's wonderfully charming British accent for this particular episode. But uh, he will be back next week with us. And thank you for listening in. Please, uh, if you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. We really take those to heart and it, it helps us shape the show. And enjoy the interview with Hunter Matz. Now I'm speaking with Hunter Matz, who is uh, the author of The Straight A Conspiracy and something of an expert on how people achieve the things that they actually achieve in life. So, Hunter, thank you for talking to me. Thank you for having me on, Ari. So, let's, let's jump right in. What, what is The Straight A Conspiracy? Well, tell us what the whole concept is. It's really simple. It's the idea that people are born smart is the worst idea ever. Uh, yeah. So... I have three young boys, and by young boys, I mean very young. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a and a, uh, and twin 15-month-old. So this idea, it's, it's something that actually I think about quite a bit, is sort of that born ability. And, you know, when, when, when one of them picks a color correctly and it's like, oh, wow, he's so smart. It's, I think we're, like, <laughs> we're set up to fail in this in some ways. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there, there are a lot of, I mean, one of the things that we've really realized in the last, you know, 40 to 50 years is just how much you know, we are not rational creatures. Like our minds are preset to think in particular ways. And in particular, you know, Don, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky um, were really responsible for figuring out that, you know, human beings are not rational actors. Like we preferentially avoid losses. Uh, you know, our, the decisions we make are anchored in what people have already told us. You know, we and in the same way, we have a tendency to attribute success to some inherent characteristic of someone rather than circumstances, because circumstances are really difficult and complicated to track. Sure. And and you, you take this further, you know, like I, because I've heard other interviews with you where you're talking about people not being good at or having the math gene. That was a really that was what I really liked. 
Absolutely. I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, so and the this idea that the the you know sort of like just working harder or trying harder it is very frustrating. And this it sort of spoke to me personally because I I've never been a very well not very I've never been an academic person. Um, and for the in addition to this less doing business I have, I've been a real estate developer for the last twelve years. I got a C minus in real estate development in college. So it's you know what what is it about the system that so sort of like created this conundrum for everybody? Well, it's really simple. It's emotion. Yeah. Um, you know the it, you know when you're doing your you know when you're doing your 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 website, which is you know not something that has really existed before in the history of humankind. You're not sitting around and you're comparing yourself to you know oh like so and so the great maker of the art of less doing website in the Victorian age did this 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 you know there's you know and, and and even the ways in which you do compare yourself to people who are doing these things now it doesn't lead to feelings of inadequacy. It leads to feelings of like, ah, he did that. That was really smart. I should do that more. Or he had this guest on and that was a really, really good guest. Or I don't like the way that he's doing that. I would do that differently. And so you're engaged in figuring out the work, figuring out how to do it better rather than engaged in figuring out to what is my potential in this area? Can I really run this? And in the same way, when you're in a class, like there's something very messed up about the class, especially, you know, when you have the ability to know who the people are. And so you sit there in a lecture hall of 100 people or you sit there in a class seminar of 10 people and you're like, so-and-so always knows the answer. Um, right. And so you end up comparing yourself to that other person. Whereas when you're in the real world, you're not focused on you. You're focused on the deal. You know, I, I have to figure out, oh, so there's this real estate development. I have to figure out, you know, is this property good? You know, is the soil contaminated? You know, it's very task oriented. It's not you oriented. Right. Okay. Right. Of course. But so how do I mean, so how do you shift that? <laughs> how, are you, how are you supposed to deal with that? I think that's the thing. I think it's like most of these things. You just have to realize you're crazy. Yeah. Um, and once you embrace the fact that you're crazy and that your mind is going to go to all sorts of weird places and you're going to start inventing the idea that you didn't get the math gene or that you, you know, don't have a natural aptitude for real estate development or all these sorts of things, which that's not how the brain works. There's obviously not a real estate gene. Um, I or, hope not. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, these, these ideas that we come up with are nuts. And the, the trick is to realize that they're nuts and to not give them any credit and to instead take our mind off of those ability things, which we don't really know about and we can't really control, and just focus on what needs doing um, and just pick it apart one task at a time. And, you know, I think the other thing that's really, really important is emotions, which is something that, I mean, it's really funny. I, you know, I co-wrote the book with Katie O'Brien and Katie was always, as we were working with these kids, you know, she was very focused on how stressed out these kids were about school and, you know, how much they hated life and all of that stuff. And, you know, to me, I was like, yeah, emotions, like, that's kind of silly. Let's talk about the science. Let's, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to figure out some sort of evidence that I could tell this kid that shows him definitively there is no math gene. Well, that evidence doesn't exist. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that adds up to the idea that, you know, practice makes a difference and that, you know, it's not so much whether you have a math gene or not. It's much more about, you know, whether you believe you have a math gene, which has a huge effect on your choices. Um, but it turned out that Katie was 100% right. Emotions are huge. They have massive effects on how our decisions may, are made because 
that's what emotions are supposed to do. You know, when you are afraid, you know, people say I was so scared I couldn't think literally true. You know, what happens is that your amygdala fires up. It's a tiny little thing in your brain and it shuts down your attention, which is a great strategy in an evolutionary context because you get afraid of a tiger and then you get stupid real fast. And rather than thinking about like, what genus of tiger is that, I wonder, um, it looks like, you know, a, a South Asian tiger, but there seem to be other influences there or whatever, <laughs> you know, you just get really dumb and you run away, which is an awesome strategy when dealing with things that are large, furry and have teeth, but is a terrible strategy when dealing with math or a book about something or anything like that. So, and, and you know, I've, and I've heard that before, obviously, and that, I mean, that makes sense, but it, it's almost surprising to me that I realize that we're like, the, what we are as humans is sort of a blip on the map of time, but I, don't, don't you feel like some of that evolutionary baggage should have been seeded out by now or weeded out by now? The problem is, is that evolution moves very, very slowly. Yeah. And, you know, our... We are a blip, but, you know, we're a very exciting, notable blip <laughs> because, I mean, within, and you know, I mean, maybe there's aliens and maybe this is a process that happens all over the universe. But in, in terms of our own experience, I mean, the changes that we have undergone in a tiny fraction of time culturally are so vast. I mean, our diets have changed. Uh, the way that we live our lives have changed. You know, I mean, if you even and, you know, a lot of people debate all this stuff all the time and it's, you know, sometimes hard to tease out. But, you know, thinking in general seems to be something that was done uh, casually and occasionally. Right. You would deal. It was like basically a crisis solution. You weren't supposed to sit around and think all day. Um, and now that's primarily what we do. You know, I mean, there's a whole movement against chairs because you also weren't supposed to sit around all day. Very basic aspects of our lives have changed on such a fundamental level. And so, you know, the, the, the art is basically taking what already exists. You're not going to change that biology by and large and making it work in this new context, which is something that we've done very well for the last 10,000 years. Right. Um, sure. Uh, and, but there, I mean, other than just realizing that we have this issue, right? There, there has to. I mean, are there some? Actually, and I, I'm thinking about this more for for kids because it is something that sort of like keeps me up at night. That I'm I'm really worried because my wife also had issues in school and just like was basically told that she was you know had issue, had problems or ADD or just that, that she was stupid basically, which she certainly is not. And it's something I worry about for my kids. It's like you know the system is obviously not going to change in the next ten years. So, nope. I mean, well, I don't think it will. So, no, well, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'll make a prediction on, on this podcast. The system will not change in the next 10 years. Yeah, and so that's scary. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I, I, because there's also that whole thing about, you know, you're not supposed to tell kids that they're so smart. You're supposed to praise the effort or what they did rather than just sort of this general thing because then they're afraid to fail, right? Right, Exactly. Um, and that's the, that's the point. I mean, and that, that was the point of the strain A conspiracy is, is that mostly like, yeah, you can worry about all these things and there's a million different phenomena and they're all interesting, but they all point out uh, down to one idea, which is throw out the idea that our people are born smart. Don't waste your time thinking about it or worrying about it. Really just focus on what you're doing, you know? And if you can create an environment 
you know, not just within your home with you and your wife, but also, you know, you get the grandparents involved, you get, you know, their friends' parents involved, and you create a little community and a little cluster around them that says, you know, you really can do anything. I don't know how, but we can figure it out. And, you know, then really teach them how to teach themselves. I think that's the most important thing because the experience of school is really, it can be, it can be empowering, but very often it's very disempowering because, you know, you feel lost and you feel at sea and then it all becomes dependent on, you know, does my teacher like me? Does my teacher want to help me? Does my teacher believe in me? And, you know, I think especially in the 21st century when things are constantly changing, the ability to teach yourself is really important. And getting kids to the place where it's like, eh, you know, my teacher's good, my teacher's bad, it's fairly irrelevant because I just read the textbook, I use the internet, I use all these resources to teach myself the material, and if you understand the material, you get it right on the test, and then it doesn't really matter whether your teacher is good or bad. Yeah, so, okay, that's, so that's a really great point, and, and the idea of learning to teach yourself, because... Uh, like I said, I was always really kind of struggled with school. I, didn't, I actually had okay grades in high school, but then in college, it just kind of like was in another place and didn't really care about the academics. And, and I loved college and I got out of it what I, I wanted to, fortunately. But this idea of not only teaching yourself, but also wanting to learn and always wanting to learn, I think is really important. But the, the teaching yourself thing always struck me because like for me personally, uh, when I was in high school, I, we, we, I was in the, this international baccalaureate program and we had to do this really pretty extensive and long essay, like a, basically like a, a thesis. And it was a lot for, for high school. It's like 30 page thesis. And mine was on crime and prohibition. And to research it, I watched a like 10 DVD CBS series on prohibition. And then I wrote the paper and that was like the first time that I realized that there was another method for me to sort of gain information and understand it and digest it. And I found that I'm, I'm a very like audio video kind of person. I can see a movie or I can watch a YouTube video or something. And I can remember every line from it once, which is, which is weird. And, and, generally fairly useless, but uh, when it really needed, it helps. And then French is another one. This is a crazier one for me is that my wife is French and I speak French pretty uh, conversationally well at this point. I took French for 14 years because I went to an international school. So I took it all through high, through from first grade through, through high school and then two years in college. And I really could not speak French. Like it was pathetic. And it felt, and I really always felt kind of crappy about it, but then I married a French person and started speaking French in context on a regular basis. And I'm about to get my French citizenship as a dual citizen. So it's it, it, that finding that, that method sort of that, like the, the doorway into the, into the room is I've been fortunate, but I feel like that's, it's not that clear for a lot of people. It's not. But I think also, and I think there's one other factor, which is, is that, you know, she's your wife. Like it, the point is, is that it's, you had a reason, like you had a strong reason to want to learn. Right, uh, I gave a crap at that point. You know, and it became fun. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to ask all of the details of what French was used for, but clearly, like, you know, it's not just that there's a context to it and speaking it in context. There's also an emotional context, and that emotional context makes all the difference. And, you know, when you talk to kids, like it's often they have that experience all the time, you know, in Southern California, in, in Europe, it's funny because, you know, where I grew up, Spanish is cool in Europe. Like it's not a language that a lot of people get to take. You know, it's really exciting. They think of Barcelona, you know, and they get really, really uh, excited about it. 
in Southern California, Spanish is the worst. Like every kid knows they're supposed to take Spanish, but their associations with it are not cool Spain. It's, you know, sort of Mexico, which is not something that generally gets most Southern Californians excited. Um, so, you know, the, that emotional context makes a huge, huge difference. And I think if we're totally honest about your college experience, which you've hinted at, the reality is it's not that you were a bad student. You just weren't fired up. Or as you said, you were focused on other things. Well, and so, yeah. So, that, for, example, for example, I got the C- minus in real estate development, but I became very, very, very friendly with the professor who was a really big deal real estate developer. And I'm still in contact with him. And, you know, there's probably people in the class who got straight A's, but never had a conversation with him. So I got what I wanted out of it. And he actually told me, he's like, do not go work for a company because they will fire you in a week. Do your own thing. You know, so it was, again, it's like, I, I got what I needed out of it. The grades didn't reflect that. Exactly. And that's, I think that's the point is, a part of it is we just have to lighten up on ourselves, you know, rather than beating yourself up about that, like, Oh, you didn't get these great grades and da, 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 da. The reality is like, you know, I was more focused on keggers or, you know, uh, I've been through an experience in high school. Like I worked a lot of people you find they work so hard in high school. They stress themselves out so much to get into college and then they get to college and they're like, I'm done. They have no desire to go to graduate school. They're not trying to become a doctor or a lawyer and they just like relax. And so, you know, they get some things out of their classes, but they're really interested in the broad ideas rather than in, you know, racking up a perfect GPA. Um, well, okay. So, so million dollar question for you then. Do you have kids? Uh, no, not yet, but I'm, I'm an aspiring parent. Okay. So do you, want or do you care or would you push your kids to go to college? I think actually we're at a really interesting transition moment. Um, there are two functions to college. Um, and you know, I think the educational one is currently the least important. Uh, really what college is about, what you're paying, you know, $200,000 a year for is basically for them to be in the guild. We have a guild system where if you went to certain fancy schools, we're like, oh, you're a smart person and I take you seriously and I'm going to listen to you. And you end up either that first impression is working for you or working against you. But it's, it's a sense of identity and a sense of belonging to a particular cultural group. I think the reality is that that's going to start to fall apart. Um, but I think that what's really going to happen for that, have to happen for that to happen is that we're going to have to become much, much better at measuring skills. There, you know, currently there aren't really, really good tests to measure, oh, do you really understand how science works? Like, can I put you in a lab and, you know, assign you to work on a topic and you're going to know how to do that? Like, that test doesn't exist. Um, you know, in the same way that even language tests have a lot of problems, um, you know, they don't necessarily measure language in context. You know, they have these sort of weird formal exercises that don't necessarily measure proficiency or fluency. So I think that's the thing is I it wouldn't surprise me if by the time that decision happens, that college is not that relevant. I, and I think that actually I like that. I think that's a good way to put it, that it just won't be that relevant um, because it pains me in a lot of ways to see the lack. And, I, and I, I'm going to get crap for this, but like the lack of, of real life skills that a lot of people have or don't have rather, you know, one of the and this is not like tooting my own horn. It's just something that I, I it's always been important to me. And 
right before my first son was born, I took a welding class. Um, mm-hmm. And I've worked in construction for years, but I never did like artistic welding. And one of the things I did was I welded his name and <laughs> I welded what his name was going to be. And then we changed his name after I had this like steel, <laughs> steel sculpture <laughs> ready to go on the wall. But I think that, you know, and will I ever weld again? I don't know, but I think that it was a skill set that was really important. And there's this, this Robert Heinlein quote that I love. Do, do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what the quote is, but I do love Robert Heinlein. Okay, so then you'll like this. So I do too, and you know, if anyone doesn't know, Robert Heinlein wrote a number of books like Stranger in a Strange Land and, and Tunnel in the Sky, which was great, but he's, he's one of the fathers of science fiction. And he wrote, A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. Uh, and I think it's for the, the last century, which is a particularly weird century in human history. Um, you know, everything that we now know about creativity is about cross-pollination. Uh, it's about taking different fields and putting them together and creating something that has never existed before. And I think the era of the specialists is over. You know, I mean, we look at people like Da Vinci or Benjamin Franklin who did a million different things and we're like, oh my God, they're so brilliant. How do they do a million different things? I can't even do one well. And what we don't realize is that the reason why they did a million different things well is because they did a million things well, because it's far easier to be amazing at a million things than it is to be amazing at just one, because it, that one exists out of context and without anything to relate to or connect to. Yeah, and, and I think that that's, a, that's also a really good way to put it, because... Yeah, Da Vinci was an artist and an engineer and an inventor, and, and uh, he probably could make a really great bowl of pasta too. You know, like, they, <laughs> but it's like in a way, it's also why why wouldn't you learn those skill sets, right? Mm-hmm. Because there were things that needed to be done. So, yeah. I, actually, I'm curious what you think about this. So, a friend of mine, we had uh, friends visiting last week, and they have a kid, and um, he's. Uh, in filmmaking, but he was saying how he was shocked that school, more schools were not teaching coding to kids as a language. Um, right. And I agree. It's like the, it's be, it's behind so many things now. And you have a lot of adults who are switching careers by learning to code, but it's really not being taught. On, I mean, there are some schools actually that have been in the news that are pioneering that. But I think that that's a really good point. Like that. Hey, Ari. Hey, we got disconnected. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so did you hear me say about coding? Uh, no. I heard you say you had a friend who was visiting who uh, is a filmmaker. Right. Okay. So he was saying how he's shocked that more schools are not teaching kids how to code. Um, because it's that's that to me is very future thing. And there are some schools that have been in the news for doing that. But it's true. So many things that we, I mean, everything we do now, you know, computers, programs, mobile apps, video games, animation, movies, there's coding behind it. And it's something that's not being taught on a wide basis. Yeah, but that's, I mean, listen, it's, there's, a, it's a really simple economic problem. <laughs> the problem is, is that anybody who knows coding well enough to teach it to middle schoolers and, you know, by the way, I mean, one of the best ways to learn is to teach. Like if you can teach it to someone who is, is you know, much, much younger than you and has much, much less knowledge, then you have a level of clarity that enables, enables you to do things really well. But anybody who has that level of clarity is going to be in Silicon Valley. 
or they're going to be doing a startup in, you know, New York or somewhere. I mean, Iowa, I mean, they could be doing it anywhere, but, you know, uh, they're not going to be teaching. And the problem is, is that the adoption curve is going to be all wrong. You need a bunch of teachers to do it in the traditional way who are then going to create the next generation. But that's not going to happen. Like, it just doesn't work economically. And that's why, I mean, I think with all of these things, because great, now it's coding, then it'll be the next set of languages, which, you know, I mean, you know, new programming languages come out all the time, right? The, the problem to really solve is, is that, you know, kids are waiting around to be taught. They're intimidated by this stuff. They think it's not for them. They think you have to be some kind of freaky genius to figure out these things. And if you teach the kids how to teach themselves, there are more than enough resources online for them to teach themselves. And there are now as well a lot of self-teaching things like Codecademy, which is very good, um, and, and a whole set of others, which I, I, re I recommend as well, by the way, especially for parents, because, you know, we grew up in a certain generation when programming is not for most people. But if you start to go in and, you know, even w3schools.org is quite good. Um, but if you go and play around with a few of these, you're going to start to realize, oh, this is just a skill like any other. And there's no reason why I, can, I can't get my kid comfortable with how this stuff works, get them excited about it. And then they'll go off and they'll teach themselves. And, you know, whether they choose to do anything about it for the next 18 years or, you know, whether they then later start to pick up programming, whatever it is, the discomfort and the intimidation will be gone. Right. Okay. So then we're basically, we should be focusing on helping people remove the barriers to, to being interested in the, in the subjects, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, and then most of the, the, the barriers are, you know, fear, intimidation, you know, uh, feeling stupid, like that, that's the stuff that gets in the way. Because as you said, like the system is not going to change in the next 10 years. Or rather, you said, I don't think it is. And then I said definitively that it wouldn't. Um, and I think that's the thing. For too long, you know, in to, to reference the documentary, we've been waiting for Superman. We've been hoping that some figure is going to come along, whether it's a school reformer or a president or someone like that, who is going to fundamentally alter the way that education is done. Magically, funding will appear from, you know, a budget that is already broken and, you know, we're going to be able to have these perfect, amazing schools in the future and teachers are going to be enthused and engaged and properly paid and all this sort of stuff. And unions will be stronger or unions will disappear. We'll have school vouchers or we won't have school. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Nobody can even agree on what it is that we want. And a top down solution is not going to solve the problem of a parent with three kids. A parent with three kids, on the other hand, however, can change the way that their kids think today. And, you know, if you get your kids thinking in the right way, then what happens is, is that a broken system actually becomes an advantage to them because it's going to develop their resourcefulness on how to succeed in a system that sucks. Well said. <laughs> so I, I, I always ask at the end of these podcasts, Andrew, is, uh, this question, which is, what are your top three personal tips for being more effective and, and usually most people interpret that to mean getting more done but you know, how do you what are the top three things that help you be more effective well I, I would back up and first say um, you know uh, what, a lot of people focus on getting more done but the reality is you know you're going to get far more out of life by you know being really discerning about what is worth doing Right. So, for example, I mean, one of the questions I ask myself all the time is, how am I going to feel about this when I'm 80 years old? 
you know, am I going to look back on this and feel really, really good on this? Is this something that's going to build and create value over the long term? Or is this something that's only valuable in the next five minutes, right? Like there's a big difference between paying your bills and building a business or building a brand or anything like that. Um, so I think that, I mean, you know, people tend to think about life forward. I think thinking about life backwards is also really, really useful. Um, the second thing that I would say is, yeah, throw out the idea that people are born smart and, um, really realize, I think the, 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 the third thing that I would say is that, you know, uh, humans aren't that good at thinking, <laughs> you know, we're not computers. We can't, you can't just shove data in there. We like stories. Um, you know, we, uh, have certain biases in our thinking. When you look at experts, the basis of their expertise is not that they know so much more. It's that they've taken these very complicated things and simplified them down to something where they're incredibly do, you know, doable. So most people think that being smart is about being complicated, but it's actually not. It's about being as simple as possible. So I would say simplify, throw out the idea that people are born smart. I'm going to delete my first one and replace it with, uh, you know, look at mistakes, really look at what's not working um, because that is the basis of getting better. But people go to all sorts of lengths. You know, it's, mistakes are uncomfortable, but leaning into the discomfort of mistakes and what's not working and figuring out how you can change it through your actions that's how you actually move forward. And I mean, there's huge amounts of research on that. It's Anders Ericsson, the guy who made the 10,000 hour rule famous, you know, everybody talks yep. about the 10,000 hour rule. That's not his most interesting work. His most interesting work is on the kind of practice that allows people to make, become good. And it's all about, they sit around and they analyze their mistakes um, until they figure it out what they need to do differently to improve, uh, which as a side note is what the FAA does when a plane crashes. You know, they get out the wreckage, they look at the wreckage, and they use that to improve. And that's why mile for mile, you're safer flying than you are walking, as opposed to what the Russian Aviation Administration has a history of doing, which is to bury the, bury the wreckage in a field in Kazakhstan and shoot everyone who was involved. <laughs> <laughs> well... Thank you very much. Uh, and wh where is the best place for people to find out more about you and the book? We're going to have links all in the show notes, but just tell us anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You know, the huge, uh, there's a website, the straight Uh There's a Twitter handle, which is um, STR, the number eight, a conspiracy. Uh, and then, of course, the book is available on Amazon, on iTunes, on Nook on Kobo. It's available on Kindle, on Amazon, all of those things. Um, yeah. Well, thank you, Hunter. This, is, this has been awesome. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's, it, it's oddly reassuring, actually, for, uh, for, for, my, for what I have to do with my kids. So thank you. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's so, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm only an aspiring parent, so I can only imagine the levels of anxiety and worry that happen when you actually have kids that you love and care about and are worrying about their future. But I think that's the thing is it really is pretty straightforward. It all just comes down to letting yourself be human, like being honest with the fact that, you know, when I'm bored, I am disengaged and that's okay. I have to figure out a way to get myself engaged, you know? Absolutely. I like stories. I don't like boring facts. Like <laughs> human being. Well, me too. Uh, <laughs> thanks again. All right. Perfect. Thanks so much, Ari. 
Hey everyone, it's Felix here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. We always like to hear your feedback. Please make sure to check out the blog at lessdoing.com where you can find out about Ari's elite group coaching mastermind group as well as the Less Doing University which has over 100 hours of video content and a question and answer forum too. Also, if you love the show, please take a moment to leave us a positive review on iTunes. Thanks a lot and we'll see you next week.